Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. How can the United States be founded on biblical principles and yet less than 250 years later fall away from our Christian heritage? Well, think about the Roman Empire. When it finally became a Christian empire in 312 AD, it fell 150 years later. How can those who were once in love with Jesus and on fire for everything Jesus, and we know a lot of people like that, and maybe we're even some of them, how can we fall into complacency? How can we turn away from the gospel? How can we turn away from the truth of Jesus and his word? Generally speaking, the answer is influence. Who influences you? Who do you listen to? Where do you find your truth? Do those you associate with have the same biblical mindset? You know, the Bible says iron sharpens iron. So if we're hanging around with the wrong people, we're not going to be sharpened. If we're hanging around with the right people who know God and encourage us spiritually, that's going to make a difference. Where do we spend our time? Are we growing in our relationship with Jesus and his word? What's really important to us in life? We need to ask ourselves those questions because the answer to each one of them shows where our influence comes from. Even the best of Christians can be turned from Jesus with the wrong influences. I'm Debbie Blank. The Church of Pergamum has some great influencers. It also has some bad ones. Which ones would you have followed? And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. And so many of my friends and family are simply throwing up their hands these days saying that they honestly don't know who to trust anymore. The sources they always knew they could depend on for what's really going on, like the media, government, education, medicine, science, and even some churches, have been giving out false information from false teachers. Jesus warned the Church of Pergamum about the dangers of following false teachers. Let's hear what Jesus, the source of all truth, has to say to them and to all of us who are living in these times of intense deception. Pergamum was an interesting city. We have had the privilege of being in all these churches, and Pergamum, by far, was the most beautiful. It was high up on a hill. And to me, it would be maybe like going to the First National Bank building and looking over all of Omaha. Well, that's what it was like to go to the top of Pergamum. And when you got up there, not only was the view spectacular, but it was laid out in such a way that you could still see all the temples that were in that city because Pergamum was considered the greatest city in Asia. It was the capital city there from 282 BC for the for Greek Empire. And it wasn't until 129 AD that the Romans took it over. But it was a very important city. You might call it an administrative city, much like DC is for us. It was a healing center. Because there, there was Asleopius. Asleopius was known as a great healer. There was cult emperor worship in that city. Then an altar to Zeus, which was phenomenal, overlooking the entire valley. Spectacular, because it was 40 feet high. It was right on the edge of that cliff. People could see it from all around to be reminded that this was not only an important city, but it was an important city of idol worship, of temple worship in that area. So you can imagine, it's really, as I mentioned, a lot like D.C. and that 
You go to D.C. and you see spectacular things there. But how many of them are focused on God? So here is the Church of Pergamum trying to be a Christian church in the midst of all of this spectacular idolatry, not just idolatry, but something that would be so impressive, followed by so many in the city. And when you say it was part of cult worship, that's kind of an understatement. This little church is having to exist in the midst of all of that. So it's understandable why Jesus in his letter to the church of Pergamum is considering false teaching to be the thing he needs to address. Well, yes. And there's also a center of Caesar worship there. So the Christians in that area were required to call Caesar God. There's something else unusual about this city, and that is that they first developed parchment writing here. Papyrus was what everything had been written on before, but now they developed parchment. So they had this huge library and became one of the most important cities in the world, even over Alexandria and Egypt, because they had 200,000 parchments. People would come there to learn and to study and to write. So it was a very educational city too, among all the other aspects that they had in this. So the intellectual aspect of the city is also something that people would be impressed by. So you have the cult worship, all of the impressive statuary and whatever having to do with cults and idolatry. And then you have this intellectualism, which we kind of have today, don't we? Where we see people that have degrees and sound so smart, and yet they're saying things that are not with what the Bible has to say at all. So it's not surprising that the Church of Pergamum would represent the church era of the imperial age from 312 to 590 AD. Now keep in mind, even though they follow cult worship and they follow Caesar worship, Constantine had become the emperor of Rome, and he chose to make Christianity the religion of the empire, if in fact this is representing the church era of the imperial age. So we begin with Jesus acknowledging who he is. He says in Revelation 2.12, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this. Okay, that's all that he describes himself as a two-edged sword. What's a two-edged sword? We can look at Hebrews 4.12. It says the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and able to pierce the division of soul and spirit and joint and marrow and able to discern the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Clearly, the two-edged sword represents the word of God. Last week, we talked from Ephesians 6.12 that the sword of the spirit is the word of God of God. So clearly the two-edged sword that we're seeing here is truth. Truth from the word of God. Now here's another interesting thing. In that area at that time, Roman governors had the right of the sword, it was called. It was called Ius Gladi. And that meant that they could execute someone on the spot for any reason. Well, what they used to do that? A sword. Jesus now is using a sword. The truth to say that he is the leader, he's the one in charge. It is his sword of the truth that will give life and not to worry about death. So it's very clear we have truth and we have falsehood here. And so that's what's being laid out in the Church of Pergamum as he gives his description of himself. This is very meaningful to them. Yeah, so is Jesus your influencer? Is he your truth? Is the word of God your foundation? Because if it's not... Maybe the fear of the governor's Ius Gladi is going to take you away from following God. You've got to ask yourself, who are you willing to be influenced by? Jesus and his word or the world? 
Well, Jesus goes on now to commend them in verse 13. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Remember, I told you that they had this great temple to Zeus, and you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. Now, we saw last week the involvement in Satan in the churches. We talked quite heavily about that, so I encourage you to go back and listen to that at our website at livingwordministry.org if you missed it. But the fact of the matter is Satan is alive and well now. He's going to continue to get worse in his scheming, and he is always going to fight the church of Jesus Christ. Because in the future, he supports somebody called the Antichrist. And he's called the Antichrist because he's against Christ. That should tell you what Satan's agenda is. For here it says, Jesus is commending them because they're holding fast the character of Jesus Christ. At a time of persecution, they're not rejecting him or his faith or his teaching. Even when they killed Antipas. Church tradition says that Antipas was the Christian doctor. Remember, this is a healing center, so there were always a lot of doctors there. And he was accused of disloyalty to Caesar So they roasted him inside of a copper bowl. What would that do to your faith? Would that bring about fear or would that strengthen your faith to see how God was going to take care of him at a time of great persecution? It's amazing that they stood firm in the face of that. So they're being commended for their faithfulness. So it's kind of hard to imagine what he might be holding against them, but there is something that he is condemning that is going on in the oh, church. Oh, yes, and it's just very typical of what we're seeing today. In Revelation 2.14, Jesus goes on to say, But I have a few things against you, because you have there some who hold the teachings of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit acts of immorality. This is the first thing that Jesus has against him. Clearly, in order to understand that, we need to understand who Balaam is. You can go back in scripture and start reading in Numbers 22 and find out that Balaam is a prophet of God. He's been approached by Balak, the king of the Moabs, to curse the Israelites before they go into the promised land because Balak's scared. He doesn't want them coming into his land and he doesn't want them overtaking it and he wants Balaam to curse him. Balaam says, no, I'm not going to go with you. So he sends more people and more influence. And finally, Balaam says, okay, I can go with you. God said he could go with him. And and so he went with him, but God was not happy. This is a very familiar story to most of you because on the way, Balaam's donkey kept stopping him three times from proceeding in the journey. And finally, Balaam's donkey talked to him. There was an angel standing guard in the road. And if the donkey had proceeded, they both would have been killed. When Balaam's eyes were open, he saw this angel. And then he said, I'm, gonna, I'm always going to follow God. I'm only going to say what God tells me to say. I'm not going to curse Israel if God doesn't say to curse them. And so he went on and three times Balak tried to get him to curse the Israelites. And he promised him everything under the sun. Balaam, however, stood firm and did not curse the Israelites. And by the way, Balak didn't give him anything he promised him he would give him. In this case of Balaam, he never did curse the Israelites. But what he did was he was willing to compromise, eventually lead the Israelites into Baal worship. It tells us at the end of the story that the Israelites fell into Baal worship at Peorah because Balaam didn't curse the Israelites, 
but he also didn't bless them. He also didn't teach them. And he brought them into a stumbling block. He became a stumbling block. He was a bad influence for them. And they eventually ate things sacrificed to idols and committed acts of immorality. It was a way of defeating the Israelites from the inside out. They couldn't be defeated from the outside, but he told the Moabites, I can tell you how they can be destroyed. And it was from sending in these pagan women. And so you had the pagan worship and you had the immorality that did rot them from the inside out. And that's what's being pointed out here in this church, that something's going on in the church of Pergamum where somebody is being like that, where they're introducing the eating of food offered to idols and also immorality. You see false teaching in here and false influencers in the church. Now, let me give you an example of that. Just on Easter Sunday recently, Raphael Warnock, who was the pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, you may recall it because that was Martin Luther King Jr.'s church. He tweeted on Easter Sunday, the meaning of Easter is more transcendent than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Whether you are a Christian or not, through a commitment to helping others, we are able to save ourselves. That is false teaching. The hope of eternal life is the message of Easter. But to indicate that if we help others, we can be saved, that does not match up with the word of God. That is false teaching. This man is now a senator in the United States Senate and still runs that large influential church in Atlanta, Georgia, and he's teaching false information. He's being a false influencer. He's teaching that we're saved by works, our own works, and that's antithetical to the gospel. We can't be saved by our works. The Bible is very clear on that. We need Jesus who died on behalf of us and took our sins to the cross, which we could never do for ourselves. Now, let me give you another example of a pastor who had two very close friends who preached in his pulpit commit suicide within the last year. Now, that is really disheartening when something like that happens. He says, both of these men preached at Long Hollow, the name of the church, within six months of their passing. They both sat at my dining room table. It made me realize that the last person to say he's burning out or ministry is tough is the one who's actually burning out. The Lord allowed me to take an introspective look at my own life. I was tired, tired of trying to keep people happy, tired of trying to keep them from leaving. I went to my porch to pray for God to fix the problems in our church and our country. God showed me that the problem was me. Wow, what a great story. Pastor Robbie Gallaty from the Long Hollow Baptist Church in Tennessee went through that experience recently. He said that in December 13th, they had one of the lowest attendance they'd ever had in his church. But God, leading up to that point, had shown him that he needed to humble himself before God. They had a baptism scheduled on the 20th of December. A dozen people were to be baptized. Ninety were baptized. In the four months since then, they've had a thousand baptisms at this church. And he said something like 75% of them were new converts to Jesus Christ. Because one pastor stopped, humbled himself before the Lord, was willing to see that the problem was him. It had to start with him humbling himself before God. So you see, we can have good influences or we can have bad influences. Who are we going to follow? It's just showing that what one man, even with the best of intentions, could not do in his own power, the Holy Spirit could do and do abundantly. 
And he will, because he's the spirit of truth, if we will just call on him, if we will open our hearts to him. But so many times we pray and say, God, bless this and bless that, or God, I'm going in this direction. You know, stop me if you don't want me to go here. What if we stopped and humbled ourselves before God? And what if we said to God, God, my slate's an open book today. What do you want me to do? One of the things I did when I came out of COVID was said to God, okay, God, we're going to start with a zero-based spirituality here. And that is everything that you have called me to do, we're going to look at. And you're going to show me, do you want me to continue doing these things? Or do you want me not to? Because I'm only going to do what you want me to do. How about you? Are you willing to say that to God? Are you willing to stop doing what you think is important in order to do what God says is important? Well, let's go on and look see the second condemnation that Jesus had against this church of Pergamum. In Revelation 2.15, he says, Thus you also have some who in the same way hold the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Well, the question is who the Nicolaitans are. Some of them see them as the founding spiritual leaders, the hierarchy of the church, who's trying to lord it over the people and control and be arrogant and that kind of thing. And others see them simply as indulgent Christians, people who really want to use Christian liberties. Well, I'm saved so I can do whatever I want to do. That kind of an attitude. We're not really sure who they are, but whatever they are, they're false teachers. So Jesus counsels them. He says in verse 16, repent, therefore, or else I'm coming to you quickly and I'll make war against them with what? The sword of my mouth. Because not only is the sword of Christ the word of God, we know when he returns in Revelation 19, he comes with a sharp two-edged sword in his mouth and he will use that to smite the evil people at that time. So God's word is used for good, for truth, but also here it's used for judgment. So truth is what can defeat lies. And we have the source of truth in Jesus Christ. We have the source of truth in his word. That's right. We don't need to fear. Matthew 10, 28 says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who's able to destroy both body and soul in hell. It's God who we need to fear, not the world. And going back to the beginning of verse 16, he says, repent. That's one of the toughest things we ever have to do. Because when we repent, we have to admit that we've done something wrong. In almost every church here, except the ones that he has no condemnation against, he tells them they have to repent because repentance is the beginning of having a new relationship with Jesus. We might be saved, but we still need to repent. It means simply to turn and go the other way, to acknowledge that we've been going in the wrong direction, acknowledge it to God. By the way, confess means to say again, which means that we say again to God what we have done wrong. We ask his forgiveness, and then we ask him to fill us with this Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us in the right direction. Most of us want to ask forgiveness so we feel clean, but we're not willing to take the steps to turn and go in the opposite direction. Sometimes we think we are clean, and we need to be convicted, and we need that word of conviction of God's truth because there are churches that have strayed from what is clearly biblical standards and what God is calling us to do. They find reasons to justify whatever it is they're doing. Like you said with Reverend Warnock, kind of a change in what the true theology is. We see that happening all over the place. Well, if you know him, he's a very influential man. He's very eloquent. And he's a pastor. So you assume what he says is accurate, but it does not match up with the word of God. 
That's why the sword of the spirit is so important to know the truth. Because I'm guessing, I have no proof of this, but I'm guessing that probably 90% of the people that saw that tweet would have gone, oh, what a nice tweet on Easter. No, it was not. That's why we're in the problems that we're in today because we don't know the truth. And because of the influencers, the false teachers who are influencing us in ways that we just follow along with because we don't know the truth. Remember, only 6% of adult Americans have a biblical worldview. So how can we know what's false unless we determine what the truth is? That's why Jesus comes to the church and he, he tells him he's going to give him a compensation. In Revelation 2.17, Jesus says to the church of Pergamum, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. That's a lot of stuff. What does that mean? Well, you have to understand what was going on in Pergamum of that time. First of all, when he talks about the hidden manna, that's questionable as to what that could mean. Some people think it's the heavenly food that we're going to have, just as the earthly manna was for the Israelites in the desert. Some people think that that's talking about godly, heavenly spiritual food rather than the food that was being sacrificed to idols that they were eating. We're not really sure. But what we do know is that Jesus quoted out of the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8, verse 3, when he said, Man should not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So our food needs to be spiritual food, folks. It can't be the idol's food that they were eating at that time. Now, that's a different story. It doesn't pertain to us today as far as eating idol meat. But what that meant is that people were listening to false teaching and they were doing false things. We cannot do that. So you first have the hidden manna. And keep in mind, too, Jesus says, I am the bread of life in John 6, 35. So maybe he's talking about communion here as a reminder of what Jesus did for us. But whatever reason, Jesus is the bread of life. He is our spiritual food. And then he's going to give them a white stone and write a new name on that white stone. Back then, they used to give people two stones if they were under some kind of a legal condemnation. One was a black stone. The other one was a white stone. The black stone was for condemnation. The white stone was acquittal. So if they went before a judge, they'd get a white stone or a black stone would be their acquittal. Jesus is going to give us a white stone. We have been acquitted of our sins. Jesus has paid the price. He has redeemed us. So we have entrance into heaven. That gives us a new name because throughout scripture, if you notice, God gave Abram the name of Abraham. He gave Saul the name of Paul. He changed Sarai's name to Sarah because God had a plan to change people's names spiritually, to show the new character that we have in God. And he changed Jacob's name to Israel. Also, there was a tessera stone, it was called. People in that area of Pergamum were given the stone as a privilege. It meant that they could get into special events, they could get special gifts, they were sponsors, they were privileged. So perhaps this white stone is our privilege, a new entrance with a new name into heaven. Then Jesus says that what's written on the stone, no one knows, but he who receives it. So God and us, that's a privilege between the two of us. God does change people's names in scripture, and it shows a change in their character, a change in what's going to be happening to them. What else do you know about new, the new name in scripture? 
Well, Isaiah 6, 2 tells us, The nations will see your righteousness, and all kings your glory, and you will be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will designate. How exciting that is to know that he has a new name for us, and he's going to write it on this stone. That really affected me here recently, and let me tell you why. Right before I got COVID, I got an email that gave a verse in scripture, Numbers twelve thirteen. And what I liked about it is it not only gave the verse, but it gave it in Hebrew. And I love to memorize scripture in Hebrew. I just believe it's God's language. So I wrote this down and I put it in a place where I would find it later so I could memorize it. This is the day before I got sick. So the day after I got sick, I pick that up and I read it. And the Hebrew is El Narafa Nala. Moses prayed, Oh Lord, heal her, I pray. That is exactly what I needed. I went back, of course, and read the context of it, and I knew it was about Miriam. Miriam and Aaron had become proud and arrogant against their brother Moses. Well, God, we're leaders too. It's not just Moses. You can speak through us too. God had to remind them that Moses was his humble servant and that there was nobody like Moses. So in order to prove his point, he gave Miriam leprosy. Do you know what happens when you have leprosy? You have to go outside the camp. No fellowship, no participation, no worship. Nobody can come talk to you. They can't Twitter you or phone you or any of that stuff. You are by yourself for a full week. So here I am reading this verse. Now, I don't have leprosy. I hadn't turned away from God. But you know what I found out by reading Job during this period of time is that even though we don't turn away from God, we always have places in our souls, in our spirits, that we need to confess our sin and our humility before God. Job was blameless before God, and yet he still had to confess something. So when I came through all this, I did too. I was in the same way. And I thought of Miriam, cast out for a week. I was cast out for 10 days from everything. This is going to be a special verse for me now because I needed God to heal me. And that's one verse I said over and over and over and over again. And what did I happen, just happen to find on the internet? A rock, a rock with El Na Rafa Nala, the Hebrew version of that verse. That rock will forever be a literal spiritual rock in my life. But that is nothing compared to the spiritual stone that we're going to have with our names written on it before him in heaven. Well, we have to ask ourselves with this church of Pergamum, who's the influencer in your life? Who do you listen to? How do you know if what they say is true or not? Are you blindly following? Or do you have a spirit of Christ to know the truth? Because that truth will set you free. John sixteen thirteen says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he's going to guide you in all truth. For he's not going to speak in his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he speaks and he will disclose to you what is to come. Jesus Christ is our influencer through the spirit of truth, through the word of God. If we are listening to anybody else, we are being led astray. Folks, I cannot urge you enough to say that the influencers in your life are going to have an impact on your life for good or for evil. And you're going to say, well, I was just following so-and-so and they were a good person. But when you get to heaven, you can't say that to Jesus Christ. He's going to say to you, have you believed in my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? He's not going to let you blame it on somebody else. Will you turn to the truth today? Would you ask God to give you a spirit of discernment 
so that you recognize the difference between good and evil, between right and wrong, between false prophets and true, and that you turn to Jesus Christ as the influencer of your life. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.